Hi, I'm LaDonna Humphrey. And I'm Alicia Lockhart. Welcome to Deep Dark Secrets, the podcast that shines a light in dark places. Welcome to season one, Death Fetish in the Daylight. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that's taboo, something most people don't even know about, the world of death fetish. Ironically, that's how Alicia and I met. I learned about death fetish in 2021 when Alicia contacted my team with some information she felt could be relevant to the 1994 murder of Melissa Witt. For those of you who don't know, I've been working on the Witt case for seven years, and I've even written a book about Melissa's murder called The Girl I Never Knew. Alicia, can you tell our listeners how you were introduced to the death fetish culture? Oh, yeah. This is actually a deep, dark secret of my own that I'm about to reveal. Death fetish came crashing into my life in 2009. That was when I accepted a modeling gig from a man. He was a pornography producer, and he wanted to film me pretending to be dead in a morgue wearing nothing but a Mickey Mouse watch. That was weird enough on its own, but in 2021, my sister had shared an article with me about the murder case of Melissa Witt. It mentioned that Melissa Witt had been wearing a Mickey Mouse watch at the time of her murder and that the watch was never recovered and could have potentially been kept by her killer. I learned about that. I was just like freaking out. I was so creeped out, wondering if this strange man that I had worked for maybe even had Melissa Witt's watch. I didn't know. I was really scared. And so in 2021, I did end up sharing that information with the tip line on the Melissa Witt page, which of course I now know belongs to LaDonna. And as you can imagine, Alicia's tip turned the Witt case upside down. We began to look into the death fetish angle. That was a chilling, frightening lead with so much information that we felt like could be connected to Melissa's case that we had to do everything that we could to learn more. And through that process, Alicia and I got to know each other very well. In fact, we've become very good friends. The best of friends, really. It's been a hidden treasure in all of the darkness that we've experienced during our undercover investigation. Oh, absolutely. It's that light, the end of the tunnel through something that's been a hard, horrific experience. And what we found through this friendship is that we also have this amazing synergy and energy together, both things, in terms of passion for the Witt case, passion to bring to light the truth about this death fetish community. So We've done a couple of things because of that, and one is that we've gone undercover for a year to investigate the potential link between the death fetish community and the Witt case. And those experiences that we've had and the information that we've gathered has been so frightening that we knew we had to take a stand against the death fetish community. We had to do something. And so we have embarked on a journey that is two separate things to put a stop to the death fetish community. I mean, I think that's fair to say. And one is we've written a book. It's called Strangled. It's something I'm very excited about. I know Alicia is too. Super excited. It's their little baby at this point. (laughs) Absolutely. It's something that we've worked very hard on. It's part two in the Who Killed Melissa Witt series. And that book launched on October 28th, published by Genius Press. And it's just something that we highly recommend. You're going to learn more about our friendship and this investigation. And the second thing that we've done is what has led us here. 
And that's the Deep Dark Secrets podcast, where together we're going to shine a light on a community that we believe should not exist. Absolutely. The last year of all of that happening that LaDonna was just describing, it's just been so intense and shocking, the things that have happened to us. We just really felt strongly that we needed to share what we've seen and what we know with the world because a lot of times when I talk about this topic with people, they've never heard of death fetish. They don't know what it is. They're surprised by it. And so I think that's a really good place for us to start here in episode one, just talking about what <laughs> what death fetish even is. Yeah, I agree. People don't even want to believe that death fetish is real. I mean, have you experienced that when you're talking to people, Alicia, that they have a hard time grasping that that concept is reality, that there are people out there that want to see people murdered, stabbed, strangled, whatever, uh, to fulfill some sort of sexual desire. Oh, yeah. I've had many, many conversations this year about this topic. And a lot of people are just horrified or shocked. They'll say like, that's like something out of a movie. That's not real. But the truth of it is this is very real. This is a very real fetish for some people. It's such a part of their life, their sex life. The intensity of the people who have this fetish is quite disturbing. That's why I'm so passionate about sharing this information with people. But I do think we should go back just for anybody who's listening who isn't super clear about that. I feel like death fetish is sort of an umbrella term that covers a lot of different topics. So can you talk a little bit about maybe some of like the categories that we've seen? And Yeah, death fetish, it is an an umbrella term, um, like Alicia mentioned, that covers things that are violent acts such as assault, a rape, an abduction, a torture. And all of those things, strangulation, being stabbed, being murdered in a variety of ways, leads into that sexual act that involves necrophilia. I think just the thought of all of that in terms of death fetish is scary, but I think the part that makes it even more frightening, and Alicia, you you tell me what you think here, it's that these people that have this death fetish, they don't think there's anything wrong with it. In fact, they think this is normal. That's actually been the most terrifying part of this to me is the level at which the people who have this fetish are willing to defend the fetish. It's really scary. There's all these people in the world we discovered this year that are fantasizing about brutalizing and harming women and using their bodies after they've passed for sex acts. It's just unbelievable to me. But when you look at the facts and you look at the content that's out there and the level of content that's out there, it's overwhelming. There's a lot of people who are viewing these sorts of videos and stories. In your book, The Girl I Never Knew, you had a paragraph where you were, it was in your horror man chapter about harassment and and a user named horror man in your book, but you had done some research and you had gotten this number and I think it was 267,000 websites coming up when you were using search terms like morgue porn or necro porn. When I you know, first learned about this death fetish and that there was even a death fetish culture, I wanted to find out, well, how many people are out there that think that this is okay, that participate in this? Surely there couldn't be more than a couple of websites. And I was wrong. Research tells us that there are over 100,000 people in the world at any given time, if not more, 
who have a death fetish and who are actively engaging in communities online in these dark, seedy, shanty communities to fulfill that fetish and in a variety of ways through chats, through artwork that they create, through movies. I think at some point they immerse themselves so much into the death fetish culture that they believe that it is okay and that it isn't a dangerous thing or that it's wrong. During our undercover work, Alicia, did we ever encounter anybody? I can't think of one person that had any doubts about what they were doing. They felt like this was perfectly normal. A lot of the sites have forums in them where the users can communicate with each other and share imagery or written word. And I have seen a few threads where it's like a newer person coming in and they're talking about how they got the fetish when they were younger and what they've done about it. And so I have seen a few of them express, I was a little concerned about having these fantasies start out when I was 14 or 15, but then I realized they were normal. And then I feel like there's always a but then, and then they justify. I feel like the forums themselves are justifying that to them and they're in like an echo chamber where they are all constantly reverberating that message back to each other that this is normal this is fine and i can see how they might get there with the numbers you're throwing out a hundred thousand people that's a lot of people i'm sure that that's validating but it doesn't make it right so they've convinced themselves that it's okay to fantasize about murdering women They've convinced themselves that this is completely normal and it's a part of their life and they can't change it. They don't want to change it. They don't want to seek help to change it. It's that justification that you mentioned earlier. But they're also just choosing to visit these websites that reinforce the horror of what death fetish is. And we're talking names of websites that are atrocious. Things like dead skirts, cute dead guys. Dead sexy women. There's the choke chamber. What else? Oh, yeah, that one. I hate the name of that one. There's one called Kill Her Production. Rape Mix. And then there's a few of them that try to be really discreet, too. Like you've got like Progressive Art Project or Rainforest Studios. That sounds so lovely. Like if you stumbled upon that one, you might try to book them for a family photo shoot or something. You wouldn't ever think that that's what was going on on that website just by looking at the title of it. What really bothered me about a lot of these websites when we first found them was that they would have these like banners with these just grisly slogans like where her pain is your pleasure or like this is your one-stop fantasy female death site. I understand that there's people who like to incorporate pain in their sexual encounters. But this is a very specific thing where it's like they are wanting to inflict pain on somebody else and watch them die and then further defile their body. And I think that that's something that's important to think about is that this isn't just two people having a consensual experience where they're playing it's a lot of this leads into a necro porn which is exactly what it sounds like it's one person usually a woman is being recorded in a pornography um and there's sex acts going on while this model or actress is pretending to be dead it's really designed for the viewers who are into necrophilia when i think about somebody watching necrophilia videos 
I imagine that this is a desire that they have and that even this video is probably not scratching that itch for them. No, there's no way. I just don't. It's just so horrifying. I don't see how anyone could just stop right there and say, this is as far as I'm going to go. And it's not. I mean, you know, we'll talk about that later, but this leads into some really bad things. I think what blows my mind about this is how much customers are willing to pay for these specific death finish kinks to come to life on film. We've seen anything between $250 to up to $10,000. Where are these people getting that kind of money, Alicia? I think really. I know. And like, when you really stop and let that sink in, so somebody's paying 10, they might be paying $10,000 for a high quality film where they get to dictate what the girl looks like, what she's wearing, where she is. You can tell that that dollar amount is linked to the importance. It's that important to them that it's worth that. And what that tells me is that the desire is so strong that they'd really do anything to experience it or see it acted out. How many $10,000 videos can you order before that's not doing anything for you either? Right. I mean, it's, I, I keep talking about how scary this is, but that's what it is. I mean, there are people out there who are paying money, lots of money, to watch women die as part of a sex act for them so they can enjoy it. I mean, I think that our listeners really need to let that sink in. I mean, there is a part of the internet that's out there that wants to see our sisters, our daughters, our mothers, our friends, women in general, die for their pleasure. It is simulated death, right? A necrophilia. And that's different. It's different from a snuff film because a snuff film is going to show a genuine murder. I know there was quite a concern about snuff in the 1970s. People really became aware of that and were very worried about it. A lot of people have tried to hunt down actual snuff films and I haven't been able to find any cold, hard evidence of a particular snuff film being made. That's not to say that they aren't being made, but some people talk about how they think that might even be a rumor at this point. But the idea is out there. I don't doubt that somebody somewhere has paid money for that sort of a film or live streamed some sort of execution for other people's pleasure. I have no doubt that this goes on. In my deeper research of it, I haven't been able to find any cold, hard evidence of that. Yeah, I, I didn't find any either. But what I did find, and I think it's important to note, is that some of these films that they're making, they do look real, though. Yeah. Uh, incredibly real, to the point where I know that you and I both have felt fear for some of these models that have been in these films because it does look so real. And there's like all these categories. Someone with a death fetish might be looking for strangling videos, whereas another person with a death fetish might be looking for death by gunshot and then necrophilia, whereas another person might want to watch a woman get drowned in a bathtub and then necrosex afterwards. You see these videos and going back to the strangling example, which is what triggered me to think of this, what you were saying made me remember there was a strangling video where this poor model, she was just absolutely like so red that she had turned purple and she's laying there, not moving, not blinking, not breathing. And you do wonder, like it just turns your stomach, you're sick to look at it and you have to wonder, well, I, is this model okay? 
did she leave the set here? It would be so easy for one of these producers to let something in there among all of their simulated videos. Like, how do we know they're all simulated? Right, exactly. I've wondered that this whole year that we've been investigating. I've had people ask me, what does the overall community think about it? Well, if they know about it, I think most people are going to be horrified by it. And it's not just like a religious community either. There are actually legal pornography websites and companies that frown upon and even ban this type of content. We found a quote in an article on vice.com where places like Pornhub and X-Hamster and places like that, they ban the content, but they also say they're repulsed by it. So this is not just, you know, Alicia and LaDonna that's repulsed by this death fetish and these films and this community. And it's not just religious community that's saying that it's wrong. I mean, we've caught other people who deal in pornography every single day, right? Because that's what they're doing for a living. And they're afraid of it and repulsed by it. That speaks volumes to me. If anybody is going to be okay with that, it's going to be someplace like Pornhub who has seen every fetish you could imagine. Exactly. And I think too, that rolls into how is this legal, Alicia? How is this legal? Technically it isn't. There's obscenity laws that we have federally here in the U.S. For a film to be federally obscene, it has to, I guess, like depict a sex act in an offensive way and it needs to lack serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. Something that's like the general population would look at this and think that it feels unacceptable. There's a test called the Miller test where they kind of judge criteria to discover if something is obscene or not. And so those are the factors that they're looking for. Unfortunately... I mean a lot of times these laws aren't enforced, though. Saying these things in my mind is racing and my heart is beating really fast because I'm thinking, check, check, check. I mean, it's obscene. It's not of any value. It's offensive. Those are no-brainers. To me, let's get it shut down. Yeah, I don't think that this material should be online. I think it does fall into that criteria. It seems like it's pretty hard to win an obscenity case because those things that we're using to decide, well, is it offensive? Like that can be so subjective between different people or is there artistic value? I believe that if you get a large group of people together, which is I'm so excited about this podcast because that's what I want. I want to open this topic up to our listeners and see, are we um, in the minority here or do other people feel the same as we do about it being offensive, about it not having any artistic or scientific value? I really think that that's going to be the case, but I'm open to seeing what other people think about it too. Yeah, I'm definitely curious to see what people think about it. I, it's not going to change my mind obviously. But I, I am interested to see what other people's thoughts and feelings are. Do they have that sense of calm about it? Like, oh, this is no big deal. This is just pornography. Or do they have that sense of urgency to put a stop to it in their community? This stuff is going on in people's communities in their own backyard, and they don't know about it. Going back to that federal law again, when I have been researching other cases that have come up around the the federal obscenity law, it appears to me that the pornography that is deemed obscene, it's usually including sex acts that involve urine or feces, sex with human corpses, sex with live animals. 
incest or violent and forced sex. Those are the things that are continually deemed this is obscene pornography and it needs to be removed. And so that's why I feel really passionate about this type of pornography, the necroporn being something that that should probably go down off the internet. I agree. And I mean, some of the things that you mentioned, we know about from our research because it does depict sex with human corpses. These women are pretending to be dead, but what is that line there? Do you have to actually be dead or is it a simulated act? I think either is just horrific. Why would you even encourage necrophilia on any level? This is LaDonna's outlook on life, you know? I mean, <laughs> but I also know that these films are depicting acts of violence and forced sex. I mean, if anything else, we know those two things are happening on a regular basis in these communities. So that, to me, is the stance that I would take and say, We're, we got to put a stop to this. The best way to do it is to talk about it, to get it out there, to let other people know that it's happening. Have them peel back the layers of what's going on on the internet. There's some scary stuff happening. For sure. I think just for anybody who's listening today, if you're curious about this topic, that makes me excited because I can't wait to have conversations with people about this. I would like to share some of the areas where we've been undercover and researching, but I do feel like there should be almost like a caution at this point. I want everyone to know that this is not a safe place to be poking around on the internet in these forums and communities. And if you choose to go do this, really, I would recommend making sure that you're using a computer that is protected and that you're using some kind of like IP address masker, like a VPN and because you just don't want to get mixed up with some of the people that are on these websites. They're very aggressive. LaDonna and I have discovered this year. You know, they fiercely protect their little dirty secrets on the internet. And I mean, aggressive, we'll get more into that. But I mean, we're talking death threats that we've received, harassment. You know, they don't want us to tell this story. And yet here we are. But I think, you know, I would caution our listeners because many of them are going to want to go and research this. Don't download any of the pornography. You know, take some precautions so you're not legally responsible should something happen and they bust some of these companies based on the work that Alicia and I are doing. So just be very, very careful. Yeah. And make sure that you know what the laws are where you live because... Some of the state laws really do differ from the federal laws. Like, for example, Oregon doesn't have any obscenity laws. Anything goes there. Whereas, you know, you might go to a different state that has very tight laws that are maybe even more harsh than the federal. So if you choose to research this for yourself, and I know some of the listeners will because it's a very intriguing topic. Be aware of that to protect yourself. The website that I would recommend kind of dipping your toes in at to start out is a website called femfatalities.com. So that's a place that you can go to that's pretty open to the public. A lot of these sites are very gated where you have to like email and request access to get a username. I don't just want to tell you that this is this way. I want you to be able to see that this is out there for everybody. This is out there for like a, a teenager to find if they, you know, if they go looking. There's other ones. There's a scary one. I call it scary. It's the darkfetishnet.com. That, that's not a good place to hang out. I wouldn't want my kids there. I don't ever want to go back. 
But I, I think that's one of the darker sides, wouldn't you say, Alicia? Yes. Sorry, I was laughing at you. I was laughing because as soon as you said the scary one, I knew. I knew exactly which one you were going to mention. That one has a little bit different of a flavor. It does feel like people are just hard and fast into the gory details with each other on that on that site. When I created an account on that one for our undercover work, I logged in and I put like a stock photo of me as like a, a hot tattooed girl with red lipstick. And within minutes, I was getting all these messages piling into my inbox saying, you're beautiful. Like, do you want to get hanged? Or I can't wait to blow your brains out. Or how do you feel about beheadings? Or you're going to die. You know, just all sorts of nasty names that I'm not going to repeat right now. But within like 10, 15 minutes, I had several messages from these people who are just hungry to act out these violent fantasies with other oh, people. Oh, it's, I had the same experience. Several different uh, sites, but particularly with this darkfetishnet.com, I, I won't look at the messages anymore. It's just like they were so hungry for a newbie with a death fetish that they wanted to be the first to corrupt the new person that had just joined the site is what it felt like. And I actually got to the place where I couldn't read the messages anymore. They were just so gruesome. and. It was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my life. And it's not something I want to experience again. Yeah, I think we've had our fill. There's always a, you know, a light to the dark. There's always a silver lining there. And as nauseated as I have been this year over all of this, I feel like I'm in a really good place with it finally. And I, you know, I know that we've experienced everything that we have this year so that we can share this. Absolutely. And I think that there's another site that I, I definitely want to mention. It's called deadlydesires.net. And that's a gated community. I'm really interested to see if, you know, any of our listeners have had an experience, you know, if they go out and they start Googling or, you know, they try to join that, what that experience is like for them. Because the deadlydesires.net, I, I feel like, I feel like there's more to that site just based on our experience and the fact that it's so gated. They're protecting something. Alicia, I, I don't know what it is, but they're protecting something. They've definitely got a deep, dark secret in there. Well, I think we can help shine some light on that. And I hope that that's what happens with this podcast. There's other sites, you know, that we didn't mention. There's lots of host sites that have large collections, you know, of these death fetish videos. stored by producers and the producers have their own stores, their own websites. Yeah, if you're thinking about the host sites that have all the producers on them, um, genre films is one. There's one called Dead Sexy Clips. That one you don't have to have a membership to join, so that one's easy to look at. And there's also Niche Clips. So genre films and niche clips are, you would have to get a cryptocurrency wallet to even enter. You can't, you can't go in and look even. And I think... Whenever I see a site like that where they're so heavily gated like that, it's like, what what are you hiding in there? I'd like to touch on that just a little bit. I mean, if I can, because I think there's two schools of thought for me through this investigation that we've done is that one, I think that they're doing it because they know that these things, these videos, these films, these stories, the things that they're they're doing, they're illegal in their community, their state or their country. They know that. And so they want to live behind this gated wall that they feel like gives them some extra protection. And maybe it does. 
But then there's a part of me that wonders how much real crime is being committed that's behind those gated walls. Things like human trafficking of these girls, these young girls that are getting sucked into these films for five, six, seven hundred dollars to help pay their rent, right? Right. You know, how much of that is happening? Human trafficking, right? Exploitation, dozens of other things that go with this industry. And so when I think about those gated communities, those are the things that I worry about and that I lose sleep over. And that's the reason why I want to continue on fighting this culture because it's frightening. It's wrong. And I believe that women are are losing their voice to a culture that cares nothing about them. It sees women as expendable. You know, you're nothing. You're just, you're an object that can be killed for my sexual gratification. It's just, it's chilling. It's beyond chilling. I just picture somebody consuming that kind of content day after day after day. It has to be seeping into their subconscious, this idea that women are disposable and that they're there as uh, sex toys for men to to wound and murder and use their bodies in that way. And I just, I can't imagine watching these films over and over and not having that sort of influence you in that way. And I I love that you bring up those other crimes that may go, you know, the videos themselves are federally illegal, but these other crimes are potentially attached to the whole experience of filming and what's happening with the people when they're filming. And so it's not just about these websites or these films. It seems like there's a lot to unpack there. And I know that a lot of these members of the deaf fetish community will will say that this is just fantasy it's all just fun you know it's just a fetish they're so minimizing that it's just this just a fetish but the truth of the matter is that there are dozens of murder cases that the murderer was a member of the death fetish community and we will absolutely be exploring some of those cases in this season of our podcast because I think it's important for people to know, you know, this is not just a fantasy place. This does translate into murder. It absolutely does. And I think one of the things that I want the listeners to really get a grasp on is that some of these people that are running these production companies, right, These, it's primarily men. There are some women-owned companies. But a lot of times we've discovered that their significant others or their family and, and maybe even their circle of friends, they don't know. They don't know that this is happening. Now, some of them do, but some of them don't, and they don't want people close to them to know. I think that that's intriguing, but I think it's important, and I think it's important that we talk about those production companies and name names. Like, this is going on in your community. I can think of several production companies right now. Black Nylon Films, Peachy Keen Films. There's a place called Velvet's Fantasies. I know there's more, Alicia. What am I forgetting? Oh, there's just so many. There's Psycho Thriller Studio, Crime House, Chris Corner. There's Lady to Fight. There's a lot of different production companies. And in our further episodes in this season, we'll touch on some of the big companies and where they're from and what they've been doing, what their content is like, just so that people have, I just want it to feel real to people. This isn't some, you know, fantasy. It's not just some moniker online. These are real people doing these things. 
And I think I want to go back to something that you said, you know, to kind of pull it all together is that, so some of these companies are owned by people that may live in your community or your state. You don't know they're doing it, right? We don't know which people are open with their family, their friends. We don't know. And in some cases we do, but for, for the majority of these producers, we don't know. So what's frightening to me is that they're living in the communities and some of these people may be involved in real murder cases. Yeah, I mean, because how, how much interest do you have to have in murdering women to spend 40, 50 hours a week filming these films for other people to devour? Like you have to be pretty dedicated to it to put yourself in that scenario full time. How dedicated do you have to be to be a part of that, that community? And spend, and we've seen this, Alicia and I have seen, seen this, we have seen thousands upon thousands of forum conversations where some of these men and some women are spending hours and hours a day consuming this. And it's happening in your own backyard. That's what I want to get across here. It just, it incenses me. It scares me for my children, for my family, for my community, that this stuff is happening every day. Someone is turning on their laptop, they're firing up their MacBook, and they're going to look at death fetish films mm -hmm. or they're going to, to log into a death fetish community. And it could be your child's teacher. It could be a banker. It could be a doctor. I mean, it could be a farmer. It could be any of those people. They're literally living among us. If you're listening today, somebody with this fetish lives in your town. That's a lot to absorb, Alicia. It really is. It absolutely is. And so I think that's we're probably at a pretty good stopping point for today to just, you know, uh, introduce people to this this happening on the Internet and it being uh, something that is really frightening and something that we're going to dive very deep into over this season of our podcast. So we definitely intend to expose secrets of specific production companies in this season. And we're going to cover murder cases that are tied to the death fetish community. And so we're just really hoping that by bringing awareness to this topic that we can help prevent women from being exploited and abused and murdered. This intersects for me an investigation into, the, you know, Melissa Witt's murder. And I've already decided that even if the world of death fetish pornography has no connection to Melissa Witt's murder, I can't look away. And I mean, I've seen too much. I've learned too much during this investigation with Alicia. And I know that both of us have decided that we're going to stand and fight. We're going to do it for you. We're going to do it for our girls. We're going to do it for Melissa. And we're going to do it for every woman whose voice has been taken from them. Absolutely. That's why we're here today. And we thank you all so much for listening. And remember to keep your lights on.